and welcome to another episode of the Event Tech Talk Show. Um, we've had a little hiatus and a little break. It's been busy at the Event Industry News Stroke Event Tech Live Towers. Uh, we're not far off now, um, Event Tech Live London 2022. Um, it doesn't seem like two minutes ago since we produced Event Tech Live London 21 in the middle of a pandemic. Um, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that at the end of the show. Um, but joining me all the way from the States is Joe Calanjo. Joe, I've, I've absolutely good. butchered that, Joe. I've absolutely butchered. We literally spent about five minutes just before I started recording. <laughs> How do I say your surname? I, I'm, I'm so precious with surnames um, because I know it really means a lot to people. So I do apologize about that. But Joe, Joe is from Bear Analytics, um, a great company doing some really interesting things, uh, both with organizers and event technology companies in the trade show space as well. Um, so I wanted Joe to come on and talk to me a little bit around data analytics, what people are actually doing with them, what's interesting. But Joe, welcome to today's podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm super excited uh, for today's discussion and uh, I've, I've been a big fan for uh, a long time. So it's, it's fun to be in the seat here. I, I'm, at least I've got one, Joe. At least I've got one. <laughs> <laughs> um, Joe, I, I always want people to tell a little bit about their backstory, how they got started in the industry, what brought, what attracted them to the event sector. I know you've got an interesting story because some things changed with Bear Analytics kind of over the pandemic period. So, like, yeah, how did you get started within within events and event tech? Yeah, so uh, event, how we got started in events was a giant accident, actually. Um, I started working for a biotech trade organization in 2008. And my background was in the pharmaceutical science area. And they also happened to put on events. And so as I got dragged into that arena, my co-founder, uh, Eric, and I, you know, we started running, uh, we started working on their events teams. And then for kind of the five or six years uh, that we were there, um, realized that there was, you know, a pretty big deficiency on the data side. And, it, it, and that was coming from a team that actually had a number of data analysts, including myself, and we couldn't do enough. And so we were like, you know what, I bet this problem kind of exists everywhere. And that's, we, we founded Bear kind of with that uh, ethos in mind in the summer of 2013. And uh, we started off as just, you know, a couple of spreadsheet warriors doing things, you know, pretty manually, but just focusing solely on data and events. And then slowly we grew the event tech stack. And then like a lot of us in the industry, you know, we got pretty wiped out um, because we had, mm. we had become what, you know, one of the preeminent um, kind of large event analytics companies. And when the pandemic hit, you know, it just wasn't cool to have large events for a period of time. And so sure. we took that time, um, you know, to kind of revisit, we actually had a, an exercise where we revisited, why did we start the company? Because uh, we were ready to shut it down. You know, we gave it the good old college try. What are you going to do? Mm. Um and ultimately what came out of that discussion and those discussions with, with some of our advisors was like, we think events are huge. They're just taking a little bit of a different shape. This is going to change everything kind of going forward and data is still going to be important. And so we spent the majority of 2021 building what's now Bear IQ. Amazing. Um, well, I'm glad you're around still and I'm glad you stuck it out because I think, you know, you went a different direction to what many did at the time, which was obviously supporting with predominantly just virtual platforms, being able to deliver events online. I'm right with you. I believe data is, has always been, and will become even more important when it comes to delivering events. Uh, it's, it's kind of the lifeblood of what we, we rely on. Um, my own personal opinions, I hope maybe you change my mind a little bit, is a lot of the industry kind of undervalued data. 
but maybe that's because they don't actually understand what they actually want out of the data or there's too much of it accessible to them. So they struggle to kind of really make sense of it, uh, really. Or it's, you know, lots of different buckets of data and they're trying to kind of make that kind of come together. Um, but before we get into that, just a quick question back to the previous company, which obviously sparked and formed the idea to set up Bear Analytics. Like, what was that company specifically trying to find out um, with the data that they had access to? Yeah, I mean, the questions haven't changed in the last kind of 10 or 15 years, okay. right? It's, it's, it's who's our audience? Mm. Who are our best revenue centers? What are these organizations? What are the behaviors and trends? And, you know, I th the reason I kind of pointed my finger when you mentioned that the, the data being all over the place is because I still firmly believe that's the number one challenge right now mm -hmm. in the marketplace on why people feel as if they're hamstrung or can't do more with their data. It's because it's disparate. And that was absolutely the number one challenge that we had. And so you had all of these kind of non-integrated systems um, collecting hyper-valuable information but then putting the context and the measurement as to what you can do with that information, it was just absent. It was definitely like, you know, kind of an insight desert 10 or 15 years ago when we first started. Um, and that was, that was what we set out to, to kind of rectify. And so how have you, how have you kind of brought all that together? So it's understandable or usable when it comes to, comes to bear analytics then? Yeah, so it turns out there's a couple of key things that you kind of got to do right. So the first thing is you got to bring all the data together. Most of the time people just jump to, okay, let's go to integrations, mm -hmm. which is kind of commonplace right now. But again, 10 years ago, there wasn't there wasn't a huge appetite for that because it was usually custom tech work and had a big price tag associated yeah. with it. Yeah. But even after you get all that data centralized um, or at least kind of talking to, uh, to each other, you then got to go through the process, which is a little bit arduous as well, is, is the cleaning and consolidating. So it can be anything from, I got duplicate records, I got duplicate company records. Sometimes I put Bear Analytics, my co-founder might register and put Bear Analytics Inc., mm -hmm. right? We want to rectify those things. This is all human-generated mm -hmm. information for the most part. And then for some of that transactional data, different demographics, they're changing over time. And so you need to be able to have a mechanism in place so that when you're looking at a chart, it doesn't say CEO and chief executive officer next to itself. That yeah. doesn't make any sense. People yeah. lose faith when you, you get that done. Then you do all the math, you get the calculations, you show it on a pretty chart. But even then, that's not the end of the story. You got to make it enabling. You can make the most beautiful dashboards in the world if people can't do something with it or know what to do with it or put it in you know, what we call put the ball in play. We failed. Full stop. That's it. Very interesting. So I guess the so to me then the first challenge you're 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 overcoming for most organizers is bringing all that really cleaning it up that data so that it gets to a point where it's usable. At the point yeah. that, at the point that it's usable, then at the moment with the customers that you're working with, kind of kind of which business operations are really getting value of that? Is that like marketing? Is it sales operations? Is it a collaboration of of, of all of them? Because I I'm thinking about our processes here at event tech live or initial news and you know lots of different departments ask for intel shall we say or, or months weeks past the event they kind of want to look re retrospectively and say hey like i don't know how many venues did people book that we uh, you know ask the question on or like i've got a company who wants to just look after the look for the ceos of the top five, five fortune 500 companies how many of those came to the event last time is that the type of thing that you're enabling those teams to be able to access? 
everything you just said, and I would just add one more thing in terms of the groups is if you have a specific, um, you know, group related to like content certifications, uh, anything around a program or programming development, obviously with the emergence of some of these virtual tools that are Mm -hmm. now we're starting to see bleed into the on-demand or on-site experience. The tracking is just way up. The data volume is just way up, which means the cool things that you can do with it in terms of going folks like yourselves have found value in these types of um, sessions going forward. It's, it's, you know, that's the only other thing I would add, but you're absolutely right. Sales, marketing, and ops. So from a, from a buyer perspective, then this is a tool that really exists within their ecosystem 365 days, right? That it's not just an event by event led kind of model. It's, you know, a platform that I guess like their Salesforce or their CRM system, they're kind of able to tap into this information consistently right throughout the year. Right. And I guess I'm going to assume track year against year and, and previous historical events and things like that. Yeah, exactly. And so going back to that, the ability to, uh, clean and consolidate data across multiple sources. We've also generally by and large have seen event organizers have been um, choosing different platforms. Obviously mm. some of that has mm. been influenced by has the event taken place live or has it been virtual and things like that. But just because, you know, let's pretend let's take registration because you kind of have to have registration in some way, shape or form across all events. Even if you used a reg platform three years ago, uh, you likely don't have an existing relationship, you're on your new platform, you love your new platform, but that data, where does that data live? Well, if it's only in a spreadsheet or it's in a legacy API, we have the ability to, you know, pull that down um, and get that to speak the same language. And that just pulls a lot of the load off of the the event organizer. Uh, But to your, um, uh, to your, to your other point there um, uh, about, you know, what, what, what are we kind of seeing in the marketplace now from like a utility uh, standpoint? It's really about on the marketing side, who is our audience on the mm. sales side? Who, how do we retain and, and start to think about growing exhibitors and then how to diversify sponsor sponsorships. Uh, that's a big mandate that we're hearing in, in the marketplace. And we think data can help inform. It's not going to solve everybody's problem. Right. But the whole goal is it helps to inform how to make your event bigger, stronger, faster. Yeah, there's so much that's kind of popping out to me and I'm going to try and remember it all and, and, and ask you about it all. So I think the first thing I want to take from, from that and kind of delve into you deeper, and I've had this experience myself that, you know, one of the beautiful things about Event Tech Live is we have many companies that want to work with us and, and we do and we, we try and make it fair and we switch and we move and that gives a different experience to our attendees. It creates a big headache internally from change management and understanding new platforms and new technologies. But one of the things that caught us out recently um, or, or maybe a year ago or so was that we'd moved from one platform to another and rightly so that license and that agreement had ended and all those analytics sat with inside that platform locked away forever and a day. Now, luckily for us, we got a good relationship with that supplier and we, we had a conversation with them and they granted us back access and we got back in there. And in that moment, we got the information that we need. So it was problem solved. However, you know, my situation is probably slightly different to most of the event organizers out there that if they've finalized a deal and a contract with somebody and they moved on, that's it. It's, it's done, right? They, they're never getting it back out. So hopefully they've got it on a spreadsheet somewhere. But in that situation, a platform like yours, it exists for whatever the platform exists as well, right? So whatever they've got a contract with you, it doesn't matter then what suppliers they, they move around with. 
Um, yeah, and we and that's the reason we don't have like a preferred supplier list mm-hmm. or anything like that. You know, we kind of view ourselves as Switzerland or the analytics layer that sits on your event tech stack. Because at the end of the day, you should be putting out the stack that your audience or your clients and customers want to experience. The data shouldn't be limiting in that regard. And I, I'm sorry, I just cut you off. I didn't mean to do that. No, no, not at all. This is a free-flowing podcast. You're more than welcome to talk over me, and I, I probably will do it at some point to yourself, so I apologize in advance. But So the, the next question that kind of springs to my mind is then, why would any event technology company potentially spend resource and time and investment in creating an analytics dashboard for their platform when organizers might be using yours is there not that potential to kind of like free up that resource and plug your technology in with theirs and have that kind of so it's essentially i use bear analytics externally and when i'm in this dashboard with your platform i can essentially use bear analytics to display the data and information about this particular event or that kind of stuff are those the kind of conversations that are happening or is that is that kind of one of the challenges that you see as well? Yeah, yeah, no. I'm th- so that that's a great point, um, and I'm not gonna you know pretend to know all of the inner workings of the strategies of these event tech companies, but having talked to a good number of them, uh, you know, into the hundreds at this point to give you a sense of scale, you know, uh, having a value and understanding of data in today's environment is table stakes. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you can say, hey, we're a cutting edge event platform, but we outsource. Our, our data piece. Okay. So I respect, and, and because when we talk to a lot of these platforms, we're like, well, we already have analytics. What's the value of yours? And we're like, well, we're not trying to compete with, you know, just single platform. You want to look very specifically at what you want to offer your clients. We tell a more comprehensive picture across platforms, across years and across events, which means now you're, you know, this intimately as an event organizer, not all your events are tailored to the same audience or the same size. True. So if you're using a different stack within a given year and you want to know, you know, you got your flagship event and four regional events, you got five events a year, but you want to know how many times Joe has come to those events or bear analytics and you're using two or three event tech companies. Like we're kind of one of the only names in the game to get that done. So we don't dissuade event tech platforms and say, just use us. Don't do your own thing. Cause ultimately I think it ends up hurting their business. We're sure. just kind of taking it that next level. Yeah. I guess they've got to, service those customers that maybe not bear analytics customers at that point but maybe that also opens a conversation for by um, using bear analytics and the framework and and utilizing your system just the way that people use tableau and other technologies within other systems or maybe arena for chat within event platforms and things like that they can free up that resource provide a better experience and consistently get support and um, a consistently upgraded solution on that side of things and provide a better system. Anyway, maybe maybe that's a conversation I can broach through with some of those, those technology companies and and we can get them being powered by Bear Analytics because I have seen your solution and I was extremely impressed with, with what you guys have built. Um, and I think there's so many benefits to it. Um, but the experience of those data analytics are vastly di- different when it comes to the actual event technology platforms. Some are fantastic. Some are woefully underbuilt or supported. Um, so there's a massive difference in experience there. Um, and I can see lots of people wanting a consistent experience, something that's really built for purpose and, and focused as well, which obviously um, is that's what you guys are doing. I mean, it's the only thing we do. That's the other mm-hmm. thing. I don't, you know, we don't have to worry about the, 
the dozens and dozens of other modules that these event tech platforms have to do. So, you know, we stay in our lane. We know what we're good at. We kind of <laughs> knock it out of the ballpark. And I empathize to, you know, groups that have much more complex tech stacks than we do. Yeah. Well, maybe after this, you'll be flooded with uh, event tech platforms reaching out and saying, let's have a conversation. Um, one of the other things that kind of springs to mind um, that you're doing, um, which we talk about in the events industry often, is those, those headline numbers, you know. Everybody sells their shows or events by those headline numbers, you know, 10,000 attendees, 400 countries, not that there's 400 countries, but, you know, like 100 yeah. countries, um, these well-known brands that you recognize that everybody has at their events because they're huge companies and they're probably integrated into every sector, so they have attendees going to them. But we also have that conversation about personalization, right? We have that conversation around personalization of somebody that comes to Event Tech Live can maybe engage with maybe a dozen or so people really uh, on, a, on a decent level over the course of a day. So maybe two dozen or more people over the course of two days. So they're not looking for 10,000. They're not look, even looking for 2,000. They're looking for 20 or two dozen. Um, and I often feel that's where analytics and data from that sales and marketing process can really come into its play because you can, I'm guessing with your platform, you can really kind of nail down and drill down into that and kind of go, okay, here's the here's the top 10 people that we have that we think you might want to put your brand in front of or you might want to meet at the show. Are those the types of conversations or is that the way that some of those organizers are using your technology then? Yeah, I think the use case that you just gave there is, is a particularly interesting one because starting at the beginning of 2022, uh, we really started seeing for the first time marketing and sales you know, especially mm -hmm. for like larger conferences and trade shows working more closely together. So the marketing folks that are in charge of the acquisition piece who was trying, you know, effectively, um, you know, to build the, the bring the audience uh, side of things, have, you're not wrong, have largely said, you know, 10,000. And of course, the implication there is I'm going to find what I want in that seat, right? And then the exhibitors who are going, you know, well, I'm trying to figure out if I should keep this level, if I should renew, if I should uh, even, you know, potentially maybe churn out and abandon why should i come and leading in now we started to see the marketing folks going oh we're not just going to share we're on pace to hit ten thousand. Mm -hmm. we're going to share we got 400 people that are currently signed up with this you know particular demographic type whether it's industry type various titles sometimes you're doing a cross tab of those um so yeah i mean we you know that's one of the first needs that frankly we have to satisfy is things around audience uh you know composition um, especially leading into the event, because I think now you can't just um, rely on because it was great last year, because it wasn't <laughs> that. And that's why. Um, and, and so I'd like to believe that, yeah, we make we make some of those really basic but fundamental questions a lot easier. Folks just can export these print screen and share it. And that's what they do. Yeah, I think I think everybody in the industry at the moment realizes, understands that because of what happened over the pandemic and because it was such an extended and long period of time, it totally changed habits, right? It changed where people lived, what they were focused on, the sectors that they were working in, the industries. Um, remote working has in some ways created many benefits to the events industry in uh, people more accessing virtual events because they're not in an office environment as much. So there's not that kind of like, looking over your shoulder, kind of what are you doing kind of thing. They can they can actually access virtual events and kind of listen to them or watch them as they're, they're carrying on the work in. 
But that also then presents the challenge of actually getting people out of their comfort zone from their home and traveling into, you know, major cities and things like that, which they may not live in now. Um, so I think everybody recognizes that as an industry and specifically event marketers and therefore sales teams as well, we're going to have to work harder to get those people to come. And the way that, in my opinion, the way to get them to come is to show them that the value that they specifically want is in the room. Um, that might be content for some people, but that often is at large trade shows and exhibitions and, and other events is meeting those half a dozen people that will maybe put them on a different path when it comes to their business or their own career path, or it might be the bare analytics that they're looking for. They just can't find anywhere else. Um, and you're in the room and they want to have a conversation with you. And that's the value of traveling to that event. Um, so without tools like yours to be able to really showcase that or, or understand that, I think we're going to be relying on kind of that old, you know, just invite as many people as possible and kind of work on the 50% attrition. And then hopefully we'll kind of get somewhere close to what we want. And serendipity might come into play and those people meet on the show floor or in one of the sessions or something or one of the networking events or something like that. But I think data can help us as an industry facilitate that and help that along the way. Um, but many don't have access to that kind of tools or the understanding, I don't think, at the moment. Um, I'm hopeful that it's an area that we invest in more as an industry um, because I also think it will make us a lot more profitable and buoyant and resistant to change as uh, outside factors, should I say. Um, I think everybody wants to know who's in the room and everybody wants to kind of have that presented to them and like, hey, Adam, you should meet with Joe or Joe, you should meet with David and, and like... Um, do you see do you see any trends kind of forming when you look at um, the events that you're working with in terms of like um, that's happened since the pandemic? Have you noticed any changes in trends that are coming out of that data? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, a couple. So I'm just going to touch on one of the previous points that you just sure, mentioned sure. around let let's you know let's get folks into the room. Well, the thing that has to happen before you know, and I'm going to oversimplify this, but before you get folks into the room is you gotta you gotta reach them. Yeah. You got to hit them over email and, you know, omni-channel, sure. But in a given year, pre-pandemic, we were seeing anywhere from about 5 to 10% of the average list for our client churning out. Wow. So just seeing that compounded over two years, all things being equal, let alone, you know, what you know they call great resignation here in the States, mm -hmm. folks hopping companies. So the point is, even if you wanted to email every single person, every single message, that list can be anywhere from, you know, in a good day, 20% to 35% smaller than it was two years ago. And so it's not just about the individual. We also want to make sure our customers and clients are tracking organizational behaviors. Mm. Because if we see, for example, you know, and a lot of this is in like the mid-tier or smaller companies, you used to have two or three attendees, they all churned out or the company got, you know, kind of hit on hard times. We want to surface, you're not seeing Acme Corporation 123. They've they got a goose egg right now. So if you're going to be hyper-targeted about, you know, retargeting, list acquisition, what have you, or at least pointing you in the right direction um, to go after where, where you may not have as strong of relationships as you've had in the past and kind of gap fill. Um, getting to your second more direct, that's, that's kind of one trend on like the, the overall arching data side. Could I We're just, still, could I just yeah, go right ahead. A little bit then, Joe. So are you... Does your platform visually kind of identify and notify almost grade companies that 
yeah. um, are on that database. So an, organ uh, an event marketer or an organizer can see kind of a glance of like, oh, hey, there's a red flag over here. We need to do something about that. Yeah, in, in real time. And we do it in two ways. So for example, you might say Bear Analytics has historically sent five people. Right now, we only have one in the queue. So you're going to get, you're going to see uh, that we have at least one person great, mm -hmm. but we're underperforming. Right. And ideally you want to make sure that you're moving the ball down the field to get back toward five or, you know, grow it. Um, and then secondly, we separate out everybody who's, who's throwing up a goose egg <laughs> right now in a, in a whole nother bucket. And we rank them by what they've done in the past. So, if, you know, we want to flag folks that sent 20, 30, 40 people, historically and are now have none and it could be you know the company doesn't exist there's been mergers and acquisitions so you're going to have some of those yeah. gaps but the idea is let's not look through a sea of ten thousand companies let's point you directly to the hundred that are going to make the biggest impact and then let's do something about it again going back to that kind of actionability ethos yeah it's that allocation of resources right it's like you know we can't focus on maybe all ten thousand people but what's our top 20 percent that we you know we mm -hmm. really want in the room we really need in the room or if five percent of that has left the industry so to speak or moved on where's the next five percent that's going to fill that gap and kind of make our event as valuable as it was for for everybody as it was before um and that's that yeah without that data without that analytics that's so challenging right and you and you have to assume it's almost like an e-commerce sale so if we're trying now to sell new people in an organization where we don't have that individual relationship mm. but we have that b2b relationship but perhaps that legacy connection isn't known by our future attendees. You have to build that relationship. The cost of customer acquisition goes up. And it's not just the, the actual cost of, you know, how much is it to send them a brochure or send them the email. There's a time cost in that. And mm -hmm. that is often the biggest or the most expensive cost, if you will, because attention spans are lower windows. And this was going to be my point on, you know, current trends across the board, regardless of industry, regardless of event size, we're seeing, we're seeing people make the decision to participate um, at an event later and later. So that, you know, maybe the one takeaway for, for the viewers or the listeners today is if they're performing on par with 2019 for their 22 event and, you know, their week over week calc is pretty close. That's a very good sign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you're far behind and you're early in your cycle, don't worry about it. You still have time to catch up. And unfortunately, it's it's not a great, I empathize with the marketers. It's not a fun position to be in. That's just the reality of the market where we're at right now. But it, but in that scenario right there, like I can easily see a scenario where, you know, those that don't have access to that information, maybe make rash decisions or rash judgments based on previous. They're not necessarily tracking it in line for line. It's, they're going on a gut feeling. And maybe they make some bad decisions or, or put pressure on unduly to those in those roles to kind of go, we, we're behind. So we're just behind. We need to do something about it, right? But then where do they focus their efforts on? Um, and, and it's those kinds of things that can be, I think, can be really costly to a business because they create unease and, 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 and scarce, scarcity and things like that. And then you're not necessarily focusing on the goal of delivering the event or making the event a great experience. You then redirecting resource to kind of go, let's just get more people registered um, rather than the right people registering or, or actually, no, it's fine. We're kind of tracking with industry standard or it's, you know, we know that it's going to be slightly later at this time and, and here's the statistics for it. Yeah. I mean, often there's a lot that's lost in the top line number, mm. right? So in, in Q2 and, and, and this isn't, really uh, emblematic of where we currently stand. But in, you know, 2Q2, we had a couple of customers that were tracking, you know, 50, 40, 50% behind pace. 
And we were looking at, you know, other events in the platform and we were letting him know with our forecasting um, algorithm, like, Hey, it's actually, you know, it's not going to end up this way. You're actually going to, you're not going to crush numbers, but it's good. It's going to get better. Um, But it's also, where should we focus? So again, Mm -hmm. it's not just, let's do anything to your point. Let's not do everything to everyone but there's going to be specific cohorts that are underperforming. We're going to try a couple of things. If they continue to underperform, we pivot those resources away. And so the, the, the more that you have to do is be comfortable being more agile, which is really an leaning into being uncomfortable going. I don't know the messaging we're going to go out to next week. I don't know the cohort. We're going to wait to see the data and then we're going to act, but putting the position, putting your people um, and the processes in place to go. Once we have that, we're going to put it in play, look at it a week, look at it two weeks, and then pivot if we if we need to. It, it's really, um, you know, for some folks, it's the deviation of, well, we just laid out the marketing plan three months in advance or five months in advance. Like, you know, you got to you got to be ready to move with as the game changes. Just having a more of a thought around that, that, that marketing conversation and those marketing teams that, are, you know, activating on an event and driving those registrations, doing that audience acquisition and that, that sales and sponsorship support. Um, I totally appreciate that Bear Analytics is not a marketing platform, but are you or do you think you will ever pull some of those analytics in terms of those um, goal conversions that allow them to analyze and assess kind of the effectiveness of some of their marketing campaigns, whether that be email or social or um, click ads like Google and things like that, uh, or are you pulling that in already? Yeah, so we're doing a little bit of that already. So just we're, we're not going to be a marketing company, yep. uh, you know, a marketing platform just to be on our case. Anybody's waiting on the edge of their seat for that one. Uh, but we do think that we have the ability to, you know, help surface the right insights to understand things like campaign performance. Mm. Um, there's some things we're doing now around uh, personas where we're using, you know, like a, a mathematical model that builds out uh, trans, uh, transactional based or engagement based personas. So basically think of it from like a, uh, an audience standpoint, you know, who is the customer who has experienced my experiences the most and is therefore the most likely to come back and then all the way to the other end of the scale, which would be somebody who was abandoned or um, is now coming into the ecosystem for the first time as a, as a, as a first timer and putting them into buckets, describing those buckets and then allowing you to campaign off of those buckets. Now you might run that through Salesforce, Pardot, HubSpot, mm-hmm. whatever uh, to do that. But then of course, what is the natural question that comes back? Where did I see things in an elegant format where I can get, you know, open rates, click-throughs, and then if I have codes in there, the underlying um, last point of attribution or conversion. We're pretty good on the last point. So whether you're using personalized URLs or uh, the codes, we can tell you what the profile looks like of who who has used. But now folks want to go farther upstream because it's always, you know, it's the marketer's constant battle to figure out, you know, what was the thing that tipped them over the edge or now we're getting into the sequence of things. So we're, we're going right there with them. We're not a hundred percent there yet, but that's where we're going. I think that's, I think that's so hard to track though anyways, especially with events, because the one driving reason for that person to attend one year might be to source a new platform. The next year, it might just be to meet up with Joe from Bear Analytics because he said, hey, I'm going to events at live. Do you want a fancy of it? Um, and that could be the pivotal thing that makes that person click on that email or that text message or whatever it is or that social post and decide to register at that point. So that's really, really challenging, I think, anyway. But I guess at least you're giving an indication for those other people that are kind of maybe attending for the same reason or have a pattern, I say, on, on kind of when and how they register and what drives that registration, right? 
it's really the second part. It's that pattern piece, mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, we're not going to be able to pinpoint goes email four. It was line three and they were smitten with that. Right. Cause like you said, somebody, my, the way I used to work when I was uh, on the event side, my boss wanted me to go to an event. He came into my office and goes, Hey, sign up for this. Yeah. Don't spend more than this on a hotel. I don't know how we're capturing that information. Right. So it's some of it's always going to be a black box, but if we can look at a large amount, a large enough amount of information and aggregate, you can start to see some of the patterns or some of the tendencies. One of, one of the things that that springs to mind, and I, I've, I've always had a vision that we might get this to it somewhere in, in sophisticated marketing, is the ability to trigger communication to attendees based on other people in their close social or industry network that's also registering at that time. And the, and the way that I visualize that is, and, and fully enough, it happened in the WhatsApp group that um, I'm in, two people from that WhatsApp group had actually registered for an event so we're going independently of each other although being there potentially at the same time possibly even missing each other but it came into the whatsapp group to highlight that and then actually from that two or three other members from that whatsapp group said oh well if you're going i'll register for that because it meets creates a meeting point it creates a a focal point for everybody in that kind of close-knit network group the way that i always visualize that we might get to somewhere as as an events industry is it goes an email lands and goes hey adam Joe, Matt, and Maggie have all registered in the last week for this event. Are you coming? Kind of thing. Um, do you think that using analytics like yours and marketing platforms and the combination of the two, we might be able to get to a scenario like that on that value add? Well, I mean, I think there's already a couple of platforms trying to do this now, right? Where you register for an event and then you post it on LinkedIn sure. and Twitter. And then, you know, that. And, and, I, and I mean, without knowing kind of any of the inside baseball, I think that's, you know, those are, those have been pretty successful um, from a, you know, this, this is really about the, 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 the peer or social validation of, mm. I found enough value to attend this event. And then the implication is, well, you know, I know Adam does his homework and if he's willing to send himself and his team and it's worth the opportunity cost and the actual cost, like that, that speaks a little bit. So I absolutely, um, Absolutely, uh, you know, uh, believe in that. Again, I think that's what we're really ultimately talking about here is discovery, mm, yeah. and that's one of the, that's one of the areas that I think the events industry is most efficient in, especially around content. How many times have you gotten an email over five hundred sessions, and then it goes to a link, and then you get all of them in alphabetical order, and there's a search bar at the top. Yeah. Discovery is still massively challenging for events, and it's and it's also the place where I think. Um, you know, a lot of these folks are like, well, let's personalize events like Netflix. Well, thematically, that's a great idea. And this is coming from a data guy. Like I would yeah. love, right, to be able to get to that point. But the reality is these events aren't libraries that stay up for years and months. I think we're starting to see more of that, but still not even close. And there's a massive amount of, um, there's there's both a lot of information in a short period of time and not enough information to have the the amount of discovery that like a Netflix can have or an Amazon Prime can have on you. Um, so just like the content itself within an event, I think what you're speaking to is the ability to to, to um, for individuals to discover what events they should actually be attending because it's going to scratch the itch that they're trying to they're trying to resolve. Yeah, I think I think you're right, I, and I I see that problem and that challenge actually even more so around on demand content because then. So it, it, it's generally all kind of just dumped into one place by an organizer. Um, and the session title and the session description 
even though that's past tense is often used for the description and title of that session. And I have had this experience at many events that I go to that you read a session title and you read a session description and you think you're going to get one thing and it's actually something totally different. The conversation's different. The, the, what's talked about is so, totally different. Um, and there are a couple of companies out there trying to solve that. You know, Clipper and, and, and a few others are trying to make it so you can find that moment in time that is meaningful for you. But that's only still at the point where you as an individual have taken the steps to get to that content to go, I think this is where I know what I want. Now let me try and find in this content that piece that means the most to me. As event marketers and event owners and content owners, we still got to get that person back to that content, right? Which I think is what you're saying is that we could potentially get that there and, and get that the right content in front of the right people at the right time at the point of understanding what they actually want. And, and well, so let's say I go, let's use that on-demand example. And let's say I, I have the opposite of the experience that you're talking about. Like, I okay. love this piece of particular piece of content, right? How do I know when the next iteration of something like this, like mm. when does season two of this content drop? That's yeah. really hard right now. Yeah. And it's the, it's the easiest it's ever been, but it's still extremely hard. Yeah. And the only way that, and you know, I, I don't, I don't have all the answers, but the only way that I think we're kind of getting to this as an industry and that we've kind of gotten to this as an industry in the past is by who the speakers are. So that's why you start to see with events that have a long legacy. Oh, so-and-so speaking again. Well, it's because it's almost like you're, you're Starbucksifying what that piece of content is. And you know, Hey, Jerry's up there again. He knows what's going on. Oh, he's talking with Susie. That was an awesome panel last year. I'm going to attend to it because outside of it, it's really challenging right now outside of it. Yeah, maybe there's a whole other business there with a website that's just I'm speaking at, and you can just follow speakers, and then you know when the next. Yeah, you flip it on its head. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's it's, it's, but this is where this is where I think what's really exciting about the events industry is we we offer so much value to every industry and every business and things like that, and we often go quiet on people for maybe 365 days, you know, till the next event, and and that's if it's an annualized event. And I think actually the data that we've got can give us so much more ability to drive more value into the hands of those people that are our audience um, throughout the rest of the year, you know, whether that's, you know, helping another organizer or another speaker direct them to that event in partnership. So it's kind of like a media partnership or an event partnership. Maybe it's driving more digital content without cannibalizing that in-person element, which I know a lots of the industry is, is scared of or whether it's actually working with our existing um, exhibitors, sponsors, and those that are helping to fund and put the event on to say, now we've done this event, we actually now understand this about that audience, and we think we have three months to deliver another compelling piece of content in this format to them, and we're pretty confident that they'll turn up because it's exactly what they want. So then from a sponsor's perspective, that's a viable and worthwhile reinvestment if they continually want to try and drive value to that audience. Let's say it's a really high profile uh, doctors or lawyers or something like that, that like high value, high value targets. Like what are they going to do? What is that company going to do? Well, if you're not servicing them for another six to 12 months, they're probably going to go elsewhere and spend some budget somewhere else, whether that be with a competitor event or a publication or something like that and go, well, we still want to be in front of that audience. We don't want to wait a year. 
but I think that's where data can really come in is, is understanding really what our audience wants as, as well post event so that we can continually serve value to them. The same way that, you know, net, the Netflix analogy, the same way that they know the millions of users, what kind of programs and content they're, they're watching so they can, for, you know, invest more into the production of content that is similar or associated with that, right? So they can continually drive value back to that, to that audience and keep those subscriptions going. I mean, ultimately the event, owner organizers ambitions and outcomes are aligned with the sponsors in mm. that both want to extend their product service brand 365. Yeah. And so it only behooves the, the sponsor to at least listen to what the organizer is thinking about. I don't think we're there as an industry yet. Cause like you said, we had this brick and mortar. I'll talk to you for five days and then not ignore you the other 360, but really the other 360 was about the next five days. Yep. Right. And so, yep. and, and, and now we're starting to see with um, uh, some of these content distribution uh, channels and technologies, that's going to get extended. I don't, I wouldn't say it's solved yet, but we've, I'm a firm believer that we're still kind of in, you know, to take a, a baseball analogy. Now maybe we're in the third inning of this folks mm -hmm. are getting real smart real quick. They're extending the brand. Um, and and the the uh, the value life cycle of their event, and they're not just jamming as much experience into those five days, and they're showing it tail off. And I think you're going to see, especially the forward-looking brands are going to go, yeah, this is exactly what we want to be aligned with. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right there, Joe. One of the other questions that maybe jumped into my mind about what you're providing companies, um, and this is a conversation less about event tech, but more about the events industry in general is that conversation around mergers, acquisitions, and launches. So that could be geoclones, that could be other additional event opportunities that an organizer wants to explore. Um, they're kind of two slightly different conversations, so we might have to um, kind of break it down. But one of the things that I know many um, companies rely on is historical data about an event, right? When they're coming to that point of having a conversation about exit into a company or their interest in a company. Um, and having many spoke to many organizers in the past, I've often had the conversation that's popped up a couple of times, which is strategic in choice of technology being part of their long-term uh, merger and acquisition strategy, i.e. Salesforce. You know, for a young startup company, Salesforce can be a very expensive product, but they know, you know, five years down the line when they've hopefully hit their targets and goals, that when they go to market, that's an extremely comfortable thing for the protective buyer because they understand that platform, they understand that technology, and they know they can pull the reports and data out of it that they're going to want to be able to analyze that acquisition. Is anybody using, without naming names, but is anybody, do you think, using Bear Analytics in that frame that they can pull out all of that historical data or present that data about their events in a very visual and transparent way to a prospective buyer? that allows them to, you know, make that, that sale quite easy. Yeah. So it's, it's absolutely unidirectional in our platform just to be above and clear. So like mm -hmm. if a buyer, a buyer can't come to us and say, can we get the, yeah. <laughs> the Carfax on, on an event, right? Only event organizer. It's ultimately their data. I just probably should say that right off yeah. the bat. Um, so the event organizer can go in and say, Hey, look, we need to stack up um, our historical data we need to show the audience composition, some of the financials and, you know, key growth trends. Like we're starting to see, you know, increased revenue per company. We're starting to see a decrease in our, uh, in our um, comp versus paid ratios and some things like that. Uh, yeah. We've helped some of our clients pre and, and post pandemic now, you know, on those 
um, those acquisition um, discussions because it just helps from like a due diligence standpoint to get mm. your data to get your data in the right place. Um, the you know the next level of that I think starts to become, uh, and I think you mentioned this this earlier in your in your comment for event organizers going. I want to understand if I should spin, you know, maybe we split our event in half. Maybe we spin off a bunch of regionals. There's a lot of folks that are looking at their portfolio right now. And so a couple of things that, you know, we often kind of aid with is the the trend before the trend. So if you have a 10,000 person event um, and it's been going on for kind of two or three years, how do you know that a sub a subset of your market has grown, grown from 20 people to 80 people? Now it's 250. That's not going to pop out at you at the spreadsheet mm-hmm. uh, level. Uh, But if you think, you know, hey, we're going to get into 3D printing because we're seeing this kind of micro trend, uh, you know, some of that can can help to become informative and beneficial on, you know, what's ultimately a massive, a massively kind of complex strategic decision. Yeah. Yeah. I I think those two things there that that is worth the investment in a platform like yours, Um, although you obviously getting different value out of it while you're using it, you know, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, as you've grown your business, hopefully off those trends and you've analyzed and you've done co-locates or regionals or, you know, sold more tickets and sponsorship space to the same customers that already trust you, maybe for just a slightly different conversation or a different topic or a different, slightly different demographic. Maybe you already have 20% of that demographic and you grow another event out and, and build that up. Um, and then retrospectively, the value of your platform when it comes to those conversations about mergers and acquisitions and that due diligence and just the speed and ease of access to that information, you know, I, can, I know companies and individuals spend days upon weeks collecting that information together um, when those conversations come up. And it's a huge investment um, and often takes a lot of time because all of that data and information is kind of spread out and you kind of have to pull it all together in a usable format. Um, so I can absolutely see a platform like yours being extremely valuable in both of those both of those scenarios, ultimately paying for itself straight out of the bat when those conversations come up. Yeah, I, pre- I think we got to have you on our website. Right <laughs> you can you can use that as a quote. I'm 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 thinking about my own selfish selfish experience yeah. here, Joe. Um, time time is valuable. This is something that we ultimately charge for as an industry. Um, we we charge for our time as event organizers. Yes, that might come together as a, an event at some point. Um, but I often know that um. The industry works in a in an industry interesting way that you have the big players that ab- ab- acquire and absorb the more entrepreneurial players that kind of take a risk on a I don't know when when AI started out you know the AI expo and conference and, and that grows and and they watch it grow and they acquire it and they bring that in they pay a pretty penny for it but with technology like yours they could potentially identify that opportunity and save themselves the the 10x 18x or whatever it is multiple on that by actually launching it um but having the confidence in it that they've got based on their existing data and 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 analysis and intellects and things like that i think so yeah it's a really interesting it's a really interesting proposition i think what bear analytics are are bringing bringing to the market my final question for you and this is for any of those that are watching or listening this back and they're like where do we get started like that's always the biggest question is like where do we get started with data um, have you got any tips or advice there when it comes to somebody who has access to it, but doesn't know really where to start? I mean, that's, this is like the number one thing 
I get asked more more often. It's and it's a and it's a fair question because the answer is I would say non-obvious. Mm. Somewhere along the line, people assumed data can only be done and nothing else in like this in the world exists. It can only be done if you do everything all at once. Mm. It, it's the one thing that has to be all-encompassing and it's scary and it's massive and it's expensive and just don't get out of bed that day. <laughs> and it's like very much um, the only thing I can kind of equate it to. Uh, it, it, it feels a lot like the kind of late seventies, early eighties, like move to like IBM mainframes. Mm. Like if you're going to do this before the cloud existed, right. You got to bring a whole bunch of hardware on. It's going to cost you a million dollars and you don't know how to do any of it. Mm -hmm. So my advice on how to get started is the only way you start anything that is a perceived challenge, you start small and you start regular. And so what does that mean for, for our clients? They come in with, you know what? I want to grow sales. Great. Let's take a look at your exhibit data. Let's take a look at where you come. Let's take a look at where you're going. Let's eliminate all of the tech hurdles to kind of get there. Right. And let's keep it really straightforward. And then, just like, you know, repeated exercise or anything else that you don't want to do and you want to do on a regular basis, 10 to 15 minutes a day, right? Let's start all of our sales meetings with what did we learn from this week? What happened in the last seven days? What happened in the last month, the last quarter? So on and so forth. Our, there, there's a myth too that like everything we're building into the platform is because we know what to measure. That mm -hmm. is 100% false. We know what to measure because our clients tell us the questions they have. That's it. That's the secret sauce. And so as they continue to do this, and we have some really progressive clients, and it looks like they're doing rocket science right now, but that's because they followed kind of this formula three, four, five years ago. And they're the ones that are telling us about things like the persona stuff. They're mm -hmm. the ones that are telling us we want to find lookalike prospects. They're the ones that are telling us, hey, we need a robust post-event report because I want to make decisions seven days after my event, not seven months after my events happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the innovation comes in. And it doesn't have to be an all or nothing. In fact, we recommend the opposite. Let's do one thing right before we do the second thing right. Start small, start often. Yep. Do it often. Yeah, I think that's great advice, advice, Joe. For anybody that's watching or listening, how do they connect up with you? Where do they go for a demo of Bear Analytics? Where do they reach out to you if they want to discuss maybe their analytics being powered by Bear Analytics or partnerships and things like that? Yeah, so they can always go to the website, www.bearanalytics.com. Uh, but, you know, I'm a personal little guy, uh, so you can always reach me at joe, J-O-E, at bearanalytics.com. Yes, that's my email. That's not the dumb email. It's the only email I've ever had, and we'll get you pointed in the right direction. And I can vouch for that. Joe is a very, very friendly and approachable person. Joe, thank you very much for coming on today. Um, I'm sure we'll engage with you further. Um, it seems like you're a wealth of knowledge when it comes to data analytics, and as we you know, adopt more technology as an industry. I'm sure we're going to have more of that available to us. And you certainly seem like a person to turn to in a platform to turn to that people can use to make sense of that and valuable and use that valuable data. For everybody that's watched or listened, um, by the time this goes out, I think registration for Event Tech Live London 2022 should be launched. So, you know, we do welcome you into the room. We have five stages of content for two days across the show at Excel with lots of content just like this that we've spoken with about Joe with that'll hopefully help you 
deliver better, more cost-effective and more profitable events. Um, so do come and check us out there. It happens at Excel in London on November the 16th and 17th. You can check everything out about the event at eventtechlive.com. And if you like this episode, please give it a share, tag me and Joe in it so we know that you're there and we can engage with you on that as well. Once again, Joe, thank you very much for coming on today's podcast and we'll see you in the next one. Thanks, Adam. This was awesome.